0: When, uh, you know, a lot of communities build memorials to help them remember things. Um, A few years back, my wife and I had the opportunity to go visit one of her best friends. Now, if you have a best friend, I would suggest uh, that you have a best friend that lives in Hawaii. That's where her best friend lives. And so I love that my wife has her best friend that lives in Hawaii because I just have to pay for a plane ticket and we get to go stay with her out there. I would love to do it on a week like this, but it's not happening. But one of the times we went out to visit, we did all the tourist things and we were on Oahu and we visited the Arizona Memorial that's out in, uh, in Pearl Harbor. And it's probably—I'll show you a picture of what it looks like. It's probably of a non of the non-religious sites I've ever visited. Probably the most uh, sacred, I guess, or quiet, or whatever you want to call it, non-religious place that I've ever been to. That you got the sense that everybody there felt like there was something present or something going on that was beyond just the physical aspect of this place. I mean, we're going over on the boat and people are talking and people are having conversations. And, but yet you pull up to that memorial and you walk into that hallway and you look down into the water onto this ship that's still there that was sunk so many years ago. And then they explain that in the midst of that, there are still the remains of sailors who have not been removed from that. And they talk about the oil that's still coming out of it. And They talk about the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked. And it is a solemn moment. And as we drove around later the island, and we drove through Hickam Air Force Base, and you see the buildings there that still look like they did back then, and the reason is because they can't touch the outside of them. They do all kinds of renovations on the inside, but they won't let them touch the outside of the buildings because the outside of the buildings are still plastered with bullet holes from the planes, that came through when they attacked Pearl Harbor, and so they keep those there as a memorial to remember what had happened. But all kinds of communities end up building memorials to help us remember. In Washington, D.C., you can go down the National Mall and you see the Iwo Jima and you see the Korean War and you see World War II and all these places there. And almost all of them have the words on them somewhere, don't forget. Always remember, we will never forget. There's monuments in Boston. You can go to You can go to Bunker Hill or you can go to, many of you walk around the city at work and you don't even notice the plaques you walk by or the places you walk by to help us remember and not forget. You can walk through the town of Burlington just up the street here and you can go on the town common and you can see these two pieces of steel that have been there for a couple years to remember what happened. Or you can walk through the Common and see this memorial to remind us of those that have served in wars throughout the years. A couple months ago on the Common, Chris Hannafin, who's the veteran service officer, led a beautiful service on Veterans Day, and he leads it every year to help the town. Say, let's not forget. Let's remember. This is part of who we are. But here's the truth. The reason we have these memorials The reason we have to build them out of stone, the reason we have to put the plaques up is because when life is easy, it's easy to forget. The reason we put them up is because we know we're forgetful people. And if we don't build something that's there for time and eternity, the truth is when life is easy, it becomes easy to forget. And when life is good and life is easy, it's easy to forget God also. That's the truth in our lives too. When everything's going good and everything's going well in our lives, the truth is it can be the easiest time for us to slip away from God. It can be the easiest time for those of us who may be committed to God in in times of our life. Maybe we've run to God in times of pain. Maybe we've gone to God in times of conflict, but then the bills are paid, the job's going all right, the kids are healthy, everyone's doing pretty well, and when life is good, it's easy to forget God. We're in the book of Judges, and I want to read you a passage. If you, have, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Judges chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from a chair rack near you. There should be one not far from you, and uh, either in front of you, behind you, and turn to Judges chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read you a little later in the message. I'm going to read you what is kind of a lengthy story. It's not going to be on the screen either, so you're going to want to follow along. You can click over in your device if you've got your Bible on there, or even better, just in your uh, Bible or a Bible in the chair, grab one. Judges chapter 3 is on page about 202 if you're using one of those Bibles from your chair rack. And I will say, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, like you, you didn't just forget it, you don't have a Bible at home then uh, that Bible in your chair rack, just take that uh, with you. Take that home as your Bible. Put your name in it. Bring it back each week. That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, please take that and receive it uh, as our gift to you. So Judges chapter 3, we're on about page 202 in your, in your chair rack Bible there. And uh, verses 11 to 12 say this. Here's what verse 11 says. So the land had rest 40 years then othniel the son of kenaz died so the land had rest 40 years here's what here's what verse 11 is life is good life is easy as easy life can be in that time 40 years there's no battles there's no enemies coming There's no one knocking down the door and oppressing the people of Israel. Remember, we said we're looking at the history of God's relationship with the people of Israel because that's how God reveals himself to us. So for 40 years, life is good. But when life is easy, it's easy to forget God because let's look at verse 12. And the people of Israel, again, everyone say the word again. The people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. When life is easy, it's easy to forget God. Beware. Be careful. Everything's going great in your life. Everything's going great, you know, in your life. That can be the easiest time for you to fall away from God. You neglect all those practices that became so important for you getting close to God. We're only a, a month and a half into the new year, some of us have already fallen off those commitments that we 've made to get close to God in January. I'm going to read the Bible,' going to pray, going to give, going to get together with, with community and, and uh, it's so easy to fall away, we find ourselves with distance between us and God because life has been good and it 's been easy and it 's easy to fall a, away from god it 's easy to forget God. but here's the thing when we forget. We forget that there are consequences to our forgetting. And, you know, sometimes you forget things and you forget there are consequences to your forgetting. Uh, some of you uh, have a snow, how many of you have a snowblower? How many of you have a snowblower? Are you grateful for your snowblower? And some of you aren't grateful for your snowblower? I am grateful for my snowblower. But here's what happens sometimes at the end of the year. You are so grateful to be done with your snowblower. And last year, we had one of those late snows, if you remember. I mean, we had a warm week, and everybody put their equipment away, and then we had a snowstorm, and you had to get that thing back out. And maybe you got that thing back out, and you started it up, and you get done with that storm, and you put it back in the garage, and you said, I'm done with it, and you just forgot about it. But not only did you forget about it, you forgot to winterize the snowblower, forgot to put the gas stabilizer in, forgot to drain the fuel system of the gas. And so you, this year in November, we got that first snowstorm. Maybe you got that snowblower out and you pushed that button or you pulled that crank and it started right up. And you're like, all right, thank God for my snowblower. And you start going up your driveway and it's going great. And you're going down your driveway and it's throwing the snow and you're praising God for your snowblower and you're doing great. And then you get about halfway through the next time and all of a sudden it starts puttering out. And then it stalls, and you're going, what is going on? And then you realize you forgot to stabilize the gas. The gas has been sitting in there all summer, and when you were in 90 degrees sitting on the beach or in your pool in the summer, you forgot about your snowblower. You didn't want to think about your snowblower. But here's the thing. When you forget, you forget there are consequences to forgetting. When you forget, you forget there are consequences to forgetting, Sometimes it's a stalled snowblower. But when it comes to God, it's a little more serious. When you forget God, you forget that there are consequences to forgetting God. When you forget God, you forget that there are consequences to forgetting God. We're in this... Uh, book of Judges that I talked about, and Pastor Marvin last week revealed this cycle that we're going to see throughout the book of Judges, and here's what it looks like. Disobedience, discipline, distress, deliverer, dissent. Disobedience, discipline, distress, it just goes around and around. It's a cycle. And we're going to see this as we walk through the book of Judges over the next several weeks, that it happens again and again and again and again throughout 21 chapters of Judges. And somewhere right in between deliverer and descent is this time of forgetting. Maybe we call it the pre-cycle. There's a a pre-cycle to the cycle. And it's that time of forgetting. It's that time where we go from commitment to complacency to complete abandon. And we... Move into disobedience. And so this cycle happens again and again throughout the book. And so rather than going through the entire cycle, every story, because there are several stories we're going to look at in the book of Judges, and it just by emphasis shows us, look at this. It happens again. It happens again. Don't forget it. You need to know this. It happens again. And what it's illustrating each time is this. Remember the end of the book of Joshua? First sermon of this series, we will serve the Lord, the people said. I want you you to see this in paper. If you have your Bibles, you're in Judges, keep your finger in Judges 3. Turn over to the last verse of the book of Judges. I want you to see it in black and white. Turn over to the last verse of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. The very last verse of the very last chapter of the book of Judges says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The entire book of Judges is to show this. How do you go from we will serve the Lord to everyone did what was right in his own eyes? And the entire book of Judges is showing that over and over and over again, it's this cycle. It's this cycle of disobedience, discipline, distress, deliverer, dissent, disobedience, and they end up far from God. And so each week for the next several weeks, we're going to kind of pull out one part of the cycle and take a look at it. And so this week, want to look at discipline, very popular topic. We'll look at discipline. Just going to pull that out for a second and spend a couple minutes on that topic. Because when you forget God, you forget that there are consequences to forgetting God. And this was definitely true for the people of Israel. So let's pick it up in verse 13. This is what it says. Keep in mind the statement. When you forget God, you forget that there are consequences to forgetting God. It says, he gathered to himself, that's God. This is God God acting. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. He... God gathered the Amalekites, he gathered these people to himself in order to defeat the people of Israel, God's people. Well, what's going on there? That seems kind of strange. Why would God do that? Aren't these his people? This is the discipline. They're moving into the discipline part of the cycle. God's like, if you're going to be disobedient, you're going to experience discipline. Why? Because I care more about your long term future than your short term comfort. Because I care more about your your eternity and the witness and the job you're supposed to be doing to show the whole world about me than I care about your short term comfort. What God's doing is if you ever watch that show, maybe some of you watch the like shows on interventions. This is God doing an intervention. This is, you know, if you ever watch those shows, one thing that often happens, they often say is this, unless the person feels the weight of their consequences, the full weight of their decisions, they're never going to change. If you keep protecting them as family and friends from the full weight of their decision, from the full weight of their consequences, they're not going to change. They need to feel that. And that's exactly what God's doing here. He said, all right, you're going to be disobedient. You're going to feel the full weight of the consequences. You're you're going to feel the full weight of me pulling my presence, my protection away. He's he's saying, you're going to feel the full, that's the discipline of that. I was protecting you. 40 years you had peace from all these nations. But you want to go your way? You're going to do your thing? Okay, God pulls his protection away so that they might feel the weight of those consequences and experience discipline. Not pleasant, not anything any of us want, but also necessary. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way when it talks about the discipline of the Lord. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves." and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So nobody likes discipline. It's not pleasant. You're not seeking it out. What did it say? God disciplines those he loves. It's not an act of anger. It's an act of love. And so sometimes you might experience difficulty in your life and you're going, well, why is this happening? God, you must be mad at me. Or maybe God loves you so much that he's allowing you to feel the weight of those consequences in your life. When you forget God, you forget there are consequences to forgetting God. And what's that look like practically in our lives? Well, maybe in marriage, it looks like the couple that started out their marriage with a wedding in the church, they had the pastor present, they're at the altar, they exchange their vows... Pomp and circumstance all there, Canon and D is playing the bridal march, everything's going great. They walk out the door to the church, everybody's standing up and clapping, and that's the last time they walk back into the doors of the church for a long time. And they get down the road several years, and there's trouble in paradise and there's difficulty in the marriage, and they're saying, God, why would you allow this? What happened? What what happened in our marriage? What's going on here? Lord, you must not love me. Lord, you must not care about me. What may really be happening is that when you forget God, you forget there are consequences to forgetting God. You long ago said, God, I don't, we're gonna put you on the shelf. We're gonna put you aside. We're gonna do this ourselves. Now, whether that's because you felt like you had to, Like, sometimes people are like, well, now we're grown up, like we're graduated. God expects us to do this in our own strength. No. God expects you to continue to depend on Him, continue to rely on Him. But at some point, you just walked away and you forgot God. You left God out of it. Or maybe it's at work. You know, it started out with your job, and, and you started out, you were praying for a new job, you filled out one of the connect cards, and you're like, God, I need a job, pray for me that God would give me a job. You drop your connect card in the box, and we prayed for you, and people prayed for you, and God gave you a job, and then you put the praise report in, you know, Lord, the Lord gave me a job, and it's wonderful, and I thank God for it, and that's the last time God ever entered your work situation, because then you went to work, and you did it all in your own strength. And then you went to work and God didn't go to work with you. Then you went to work and it was your job and your work and your situation and God had nothing to do with it. And then one day you find you're looking at work and it's miserable. And you're miserable. And you don't know what's going on. And you're not advancing. And people are and people are being promoted ahead of you that you feel like you should be promoted ahead of. And things are and things are difficult and it's not pleasant. And you're being disciplined at work and you're going, God, what's going on? You gave me this job. What are you doing? But the truth is, long ago, you forgot God. You left God out of your work and you forgot that forgetting God has consequences. Or maybe you're in school. And back in elementary school, when you were there, you would tell people about Jesus, tell people about God all the time. Invite them to church with you. Come to Kids Adventure Week. Come to VBS. Oh, yeah, I was at church last night. Yeah, my church. But then you get into middle school. Get into high school. College. Peer pressure. You start realizing not everybody goes to church. Start realizing that there are some people that don't like that you do at church. So you just keep quiet about it. Start not to say. And then suddenly you start living a life that's different at school than it is at church. And you feel the pressure of it. And you feel the difficulty. And maybe you feel that God's presence isn't with you. You say, God, what's going on here? Well, the truth isn't that God forgot you, but that long ago you had forgotten God and left God out of it. And you forgot that there are consequences to forgetting God. See, we want God to keep blessing us even when we abandon him. We want God to keep things going on cruise control. Keep giving me all the good stuff. Keep Keep it coming, Lord even though we have long ago left him out of it. And for our own good, for our own eternity's sake, for our own soul's sake, God says, I'll wait. And while I'm waiting, you'll feel the weight of your decision of leaving me out of it. And sometimes he does that in order to allow us to feel that weight to drive us back to him. Now, you say, Pastor, are you telling me every difficulty I experience is the discipline of God in my life? Nope, I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you that some of them are and that it's hard to know the difference. And so that in every difficulty in life, I've learned to approach it this way. God, what are you trying to teach me? God, is there anything I'm missing Lord, is there something I have forgotten you? Is there some place that I have gone astray? Is there some place, something that I need to learn out of this pain and difficulty that I'm missing? See, it's hard for me to distinguish between just difficulties of living in a fallen world and the discipline of a loving God, so I just approach every situation the same way. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to show me? Lord, what am I supposed to get out of this? How can I become more like Jesus? By walking through this. See, here's the truth. Don't get, don't get upset when you're experiencing the discipline of God. You know when you should get upset? When you've forgotten God and you don't experience the discipline of God. That's when you should start feeling nervous. If you ever have forgotten God and walked away from God in a part of your life, and then you don't experience God's discipline, that's when you should start getting nervous. We were preparing these messages in our, uh, we have a, a message prep group that we meet with every week. And so a couple weeks ago, we were looking at this message and Thomas Vanderlyn was sitting in on the meeting with us. Thomas, if you don't know Thomas, he goes to our Belmont location. He's a Chi Alpha campus ministry at Boston University. And he said, what you're talking about sounds a lot like the advice uh, or what uh, my rowing coach used to say to us. He used to row at Northeastern. And he said, my rowing coach used to say to us this. He used to say, don't get upset when I'm talking to you. He said, Or don't get concerned. Don't get concerned when I'm talking to you. Get concerned when I stop talking to you. Because if I stop talking to you, it means I no longer see you as teachable. It means I've stopped investing in you. Ultimately, what he was saying is when I stop talking to you, I've given up hope on you. I'm no longer coaching you. Uh, Don't get concerned when God's disciplining you. Get concerned if you ever forget God and he doesn't discipline you. If he's given you over to your hard heart that has abandoned him, that's when you get concerned. And I've walked away from God. And why aren't I experiencing? Because is... God disciplines those he loves. So what do you do? We forget God. We forget there are consequences to forgetting God. So what's the solution? Well, you can probably guess. It's remember. If you remember, God will forget that you forgot. When you forget God, you forget there are consequences to forgetting God. But if you will remember... God will forget that you forgot. What that means is God forgives you in such a way, extends such grace to you that he creates a new life and a new heart and he forgets that you ever forgot. The consequences of your sin, he's able to redeem the Bible says that he takes your sins, your transgressions, and it's like they're as far as the east is from the west with him. He forgets that you forgot. Takes sins that made you as red as scarlet, he says, and makes them as white as snow. He forgets that you forgot. He says, if you confess your sins to him, that God is faithful and just to forgive them. He forgets that you forgot. Remember him. And he will send or he has sent a deliverer for you. Just like he did for the Israelites. Now let's look at the story. Judges chapter 3. Pages, page 202 in your Bible there. Judges chapter 3. Here's the story I'm going to give you. Now if you've never read Judges. And I'm going to guess a few of you haven't. Uh, you might be surprised at some of the stories you find in the book of Judges. We're starting out uh, probably rated PG. By the end of Judges, you're rated R. Uh, It gets there's a descent through the Book of Judges. They get they get more violent. Uh, They get more detailed and more graphic. Why? Because God is showing this is what happens apart from him. This is what happens when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. This is the result of walking away from God and disobedience and dissent. And it goes down and down and down. God communicates who he is to us through his word. And one genre in his word he uses is the accounts of historical stories that he puts in narrative form so we can understand who he is and who we are it's not about what happened 3000 years ago it's about what continues to happen in your life and mine yeah. see this cycle continues in your life and mine is disobedience discipline distress crying out deliverance and then disobedience again so they were delivered uh, and there was 40 years of peace. And then they abandoned the war. They disobeyed again. But then they cried out in distress to God. And here is the response, picking up in verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Pause there for a second. I want to make sure you got the characters right, right? I want to make sure you got the names. So you get it because there's two E names here, right? You got to make sure you know which one is which. Ehud is the deliverer that God is raising up. Ehud is the one, is the Israelite. uh, He's the one that he's designated. The Israelites have to pay tribute to this Moabite king. That's part of the oppression. And Ehud is the one that brings the tribute to the Moabite king whose name is Eglon. Eglon. I I knew I needed to clarify. Eglon. So Ehud brings the tribute. Eglon is the Moabite king. And Ehud is deliverer and he's also left-handed. left-handed. That'll be important in a second. All right. Bible does not waste words. All right. God does not waste words in his Bible. All right. Here we go. Ehud's left hand. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon the king, Eglon the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit at length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence! Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out onto the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely He is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed. And he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. After him, Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. But chapter 4, verse 1, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. This cycle again and again. Incredible story of God delivering his people. Incredibly detailed story. Ehud is the hero of every left-handed person. <laughs> He's the left-handed hero. So some of you are left-handed and you've had to deal with bumping elbows at the dinner table or learning to write with a pencil without smudging on the paper. Well, you've got Ehud. Ehud is your, is your man. He raises up a left hand. Why is it significant? Because most people were right-handed and even if they weren't right-handed, they would train to fight with their right hand. So to have someone who was left-handed and fought with his left hand was unusual. So you walk into the king's palace. Well, see, I've got no weapon. I have no weapon. I mean, if he had a weapon, he'd just take it off his right side. Here you go. Because no one carries a weapon on their left side. <laughs> My left, you're right. No one carries a weapon on their left side. But Ehud was a left-handed man. And he, I got that backwards again, didn't I? Left hand, right side. All right, so no one would carry a weapon. I had that right. No one carries a weapon on their right side. And so here's Ehud. He's a left-handed man. And he carries the sword on his right side. And he uses God's deliverer. People cried out, and God delivered. Because when you forget God, you forget there are consequences to forgetting God. But if you will remember... God will forget that you forgot. So he sends a deliverer to deliver his people and gives them 80 years of peace. Forgets that they forgot. And for you, you and I have sinned, we've transgressed God, we've gone our own way. There are places in your life maybe that you've forgotten God. And yet God, when when you remember, God forgets that you forgot. What's it look like for you to remember well, maybe in their marriage situation, it looks like you saying, you know what? We've tried everything else. We've tried it all. I know we've, we've gone to everything we can go to. We've read everything we could read. We've tried everything we could try, and it hasn't worked. I got a crazy idea. I think we need to get back to God. I know it sounds simple, and it sounds overly simplistic, but I think we forgot God, and we need to get back to praying together and reading our Bible and asking God to lead us. And you remember God in your marriage. Or maybe at work, it looks like um, a situation that I asked Wendy if I could share about her work situation that happened a few years ago and a couple jobs ago. When she was in a situation that was pretty miserable, and I knew this because she never wanted to go in the morning and she complained when she came home at night And I assumed she was complaining to God as well as me. And you know how that's like. Some of you have been in situations like that. You just don't want to go. You don't want to be there. One thing's or another. It's the people you work with. It's the job situation. feel like God just has almost abandoned you in that place. And it was after a while of going like that, that I noticed after a while that something had changed. That she wasn't dreading as much going in the morning and she wasn't complaining coming home at night and something had changed in her. And she told me that God had convicted her about her job situation. That God had convicted her about her attitude in her job situation. And that he gave her a verse of scripture that actually came out of a time of discipline of the people of Israel. When they were again in exile, but God told them, pray for the peace of the country and the people that you're in. Pray that they would prosper. Pray for their welfare. And in their prosperity and in their welfare, you will prosper. And she said God gave her that verse and it changed her whole attitude going into work suddenly she understood that she had to pray for these people that she worked with and worked for. And she started praying for her bosses and her bosses' bosses and started praying that God would bless the company and bless the work they were doing and bless her work group. And nothing externally necessarily changed, yet something had changed. Because you remember God in that place. And it changes you. And all of a sudden something changes in you and you bring God in with you, and it's hard to be mad at people you're praying for that morning. Or maybe you go into school and you get to your locker. Maybe it's tomorrow morning, or if you're on vacation this week, I guess it's next Monday, and you get to your locker, and you're there getting your books, and the person comes up, you know, who's your locker mate beside you comes up, starts doing a combination, and you know the question's coming, and she's like, So what'd you do this weekend? And you say, ah, oh, you know, the usual. Watch TV, YouTube, homework. And then you pause. You say, oh, I went to church yesterday. And I don't know what the reaction is next. And it really, it doesn't really matter what the reaction is next. Maybe the reaction is, you went to church? Or maybe the reaction is, you what? Or maybe the reaction is, oh, Really? I also went to church this weekend. Or maybe it's, oh, that's nice, Lock and walked away. I don't know. I don't really care what the reaction is. Because something has happened in that moment in your heart. All of a sudden, a double-mindedness is gone, and a singular focus is there, and you're no longer living like two people but one person, and all of a sudden, something has changed in your own heart and in your own life. Because you remember God in that place. Because you remember God in that. And all of a sudden, you have a lightness about you. Because it's out there. And you have let that know that you love God. You follow him. So I don't know the places in your life that maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. But there are times in our lives where we forget God. And when it is, if he loves us, and he does, he will often allow us to be disciplined to feel the weight of our consequences. And in the midst of that, we ask, God, what are you trying to teach me? Where have I left you? What are you trying to show me? Let me close by saying this general statement about the stories that we're telling on Sunday mornings. When my son was a little younger, sometimes he would have his cousins sleep over. And uh, when, they, when he did Sometimes before they would go to bed, I would tell them, I would read them a story from the Bible and I would read them, I titled it, Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. And I maybe could have titled this whole message series that. Because if you haven't read Judges and you just heard that story this morning, you're going, what on earth is that doing in the Bible? And why is it so detailed? Maybe you haven't read your Bible and you thought it was just full of proverbial sayings like a sanctified fortune cookie. Or maybe you thought it was just like a driver's ed manual full of rules that told you what to do and what not to do. And then you open it up and you read about, you know, you know, Ehud shoving the sword in and leaving it and the dung coming out. And I used to read these to my son. I mean, what better story for a preteen boys than talking about, you know, espionage and, and, and secret swords and bathroom humor and all kinds of stuff in here, right? And, I tell these stories, but maybe you hear that and you go, you know, this is, why is this in a holy book? Why is this in God's word? Here's the thing, when we hear these stories, we may be tempted to be appalled or astonished by the violence that's in this Bible sometimes. But the reality is we shouldn't be. Because I can turn on the news at night or I can click through the news feed and my phone and see how violent humanity can be. I'm very uh, little, unlikely to be astonished by the capability of humanity to be violent towards one another. I'm less and less astonished by the depravity of humanity. You read about genocides and homicides and all kinds of things that take place, the the, the depravity of men and women and humanity very infrequently astonishes me anymore, surprises me. It shouldn't. And so if that's what humanity is, it shouldn't surprise us that God accurately portrays it in His Word. And that God accurately portrays what humanity is really like apart from him in this, particularly in this book of Judges. But here's what we miss. There is something that we should be absolutely astonished and surprised and blown away by. But it's not the violence of men. It's that somehow these violent, unworthy, undeserved not nice, wicked people, every time they cry out, God answers. That's what should surprise us. That's the shocking thing about the book of Judges. That's the shocking thing about these stories. It's not how violent they are and how how bad people are. I know people are bad. What I don't realize sometimes is how good God is. What I miss is how gracious God is. What I miss is how loving God is. One writer has called it the scandalous grace of God. And it is. It's a scandalous grace of God. It's not fair because every one of us deserves consequences beyond what we could imagine for our wickedness. And yet God's grace, if we will cry out, he has sent in Jesus Christ a deliverer for us. And so we're gonna close with this song that we've sung before in church, but actually, as we were thinking through this morning's message, I don't think we've ever sung it at a more appropriate time. Because what we should be astonished by is the reckless love of God. A God that graciously, with reckless abandon, extends to you an offer of deliverance and salvation through Jesus Christ. A God that when you remember him and when you repent and turn away from things and turn towards him, somehow, for some reason, because of what his son Jesus did on the cross, forgets, or I should say it more this way, chooses to forget that you forgot and extends grace and forgiveness to you. God thank you we don't deserve your grace we don't deserve your love and to be frank Lord we don't often say it this way but we don't deserve your discipline we don't deserve for you to love us that much that you would discipline us in order to drive us back to you and yet you have not abandoned us you continue to call us back and you continue to show your love to us And so, Lord, this morning, may we not be enamored by a story of violence, but may we be astonished by a picture of grace given to us. And, Lord, may we call out to you. And, Lord, when we do, I'm thankful that you respond with grace and love for us. In Jesus' name.